Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. This is Jonathan Siegley, and today I'm joined by Sherell McMillan, and we are very pleased to welcome... For the first time with us, at least, Brian Ives from ESPN Stat and Info. Wanted to really thank you for coming on and talking some stats with us today, Brian. Yeah, John, I'm thrilled to be here. Love talking about the Tar Heels. People at work probably get enough of it, so happy to share some information here. Nice. And then, Rail, always good to talk to you, buddy. Oh, yeah, you as well. Looking forward to it. Hopefully we can broach some new ground and keep providing great basketball coverage for our readers and our subscribers. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, that's why we kind of wanted to get Brian on here because I don't know who follows Brian on Twitter, but if you don't, you should. Because like some of the stats you send out, Brian, I don't even know where you get those from and what databases you're looking at. Oh, yeah, man. Fortunately, at work, we have tons of databases, everything from sort of next level stuff to basic things like ranked games. So I'm fortunate to work at a company that provides me with a ton of resources. I can't take the credit for compiling all that information myself. It's years of hard work by hundreds of people, literally, that allowed me to put some of that stuff together. Well, it is definitely impressive. And to get this one started, then, I guess one of the things that I wanted to ask you about Obviously, Carolina put up that huge three-point barrage against Western Carolina. And at least to my eye, because I've not been following the stats really, but it looks like the heels are shooting the three better this year than at least in, I guess, recent memory, like maybe going back two, three, five seasons. But from what you're seeing, are the stats actually bearing that out so far? Just pure three-point shooting, absolutely. I think they're right under 40% right now, which is pretty remarkable when you take into account that I believe Theo Pinson himself is like 2 of 21 or 2 of 22, so 2 of 21. So even with him, they're shooting 39.9, so 40% from three, which is exceptional for Carolina. Last year, they shot 36%, which has featured Justin Jackson, who made more threes than any player in a single season in Carolina history. So they're lighting it up for their standards, at least from three so far this year. Certainly, Kenny Williams is leading the way there, shooting at least 55% leading the ACC in that category. So definitely shooting better than they have in a while for three, but that doesn't mean they're playing any differently. And we can go to that later, but a pure three-point shooting, they're definitely a step up from where they were a year ago. Rel, did you have any follow-up to that at all? Yeah, I think it's something we, we've talked about. Nobody really expected it to be the team shooting 40% from three, I don't think, through 10 games. But I do think we knew it was going to be a more perimeter-based team. To Brian's point, really what has changed those percentages is you have Kenny Williams shooting 55%. And it's not like he's only taken 10 or 20 or 33s. He's 22 of 40 from beyond the arc. So when you have a player shooting 55% from three, then his roommate, Luke May, is shooting 48% from three. And then you have someone like Playtech 
who, even though he's only taking 12 shots, is shooting 50%. Obviously, their numbers are going to be better. And I think that goes into a little bit some of the growing pains. I shouldn't say pains. Some of the growing that the young big guys have to do, that this is going to be a slightly more perimeter-oriented offense. The numbers might not bear it out yet, but I think it will be moving forward throughout the season. How many threes has Kenny Williams attempted so far? 40. Okay, so that's an average of right at four a game. Is that right, Brian? Yeah, four a game. He's uh, okay. the only, only player shooting more than him is Joel Berry, who shot 58 threes. And, you know, it's funny because just last year, Justin Jackson set the record for threes in a season in Carolina history, a record that had stood for uh, almost 20 years. And Kenny Williams, again, only through 10 games, but he's on pace to destroy that. Obviously, we don't think the pace will continue once he gets into ACC play, but, you know, something to monitor moving forward. Well, while the three-point shooting is obviously a weapon for this team, if they're going to continue to shoot 40%, they're not a classic, let's say, a Duke team or certainly not a Davidson or a Michigan-type team that relies on the three. They're still only making seven and a half per game. So still a traditional Roy Williams team that will start inside and try to score there. They're actually averaging more points in the paint this year than they did last year. I expect that to go mm-hmm. down. But they're still a very much an interior-based team that will take threes and they get their chances. They're not an outside-in team. Well, to follow up on something that you mentioned, Brian, with Theo shooting 10%, less actually than 10% from three, but you just said that Carolina is actually averaging more in the paint. Is that Mm -hmm. due to Theo possibly driving more? Has his two-point shooting percentage improved? Oh, yeah. He's great from two. I believe he is somewhere around, he's well over 50% from two because he's shooting 47% overall and 9.5 from three. And I think you've seen that in the past few games. I don't know. I think IC wrote an article, or there was an article somewhere about Roy didn't really have a talk with them, but he sort of addressed it in practice, how he maybe needs to be careful with his shot selection. And you've seen that he's attempted two threes in the last four games. Since that Michigan State loss, he's only attempted two threes. So you can kind of see where Theo's sort of gone. And he's had, I think, averaged, oh, see, about five assists per game in that stretch. So he's definitely had more of a focus on getting to the hole rather than settling for those jump shots. Well, to me, Theo is probably the best creator on the ball, I would say. Mm -hmm. So that's encouraging to hear from me. Rel, what have you seen from Theo? Is that something that you think is also a positive there? Oh, yeah, without question. I mean, I think we all agree he's the best passer on the team. Me and Brian have had some outside conversations. We go back and forth between Jalik and, and Theo. But, you know, he's either number one or he's number two. He's more proven at this point as far as a passer. And just when he starts flowing and, and things start going well for him on offense, you can kind of see it permeate throughout the team. Sterling Manley, there's a, a play on against Western Carolina on Wednesday. And you know, he's coming down the lane. He just drops off, you know, I don't want to be cliche, but he drops off a dime to Sterling Manley <laughs> and he ducks it in. And that just, that gets Manley involved in the game. That gets him, you know, going, I guess the crowd going. He just makes those plays. Granted, you have to deal with some of the, the Theoness of what he does. Sometimes he might throw a behind the back pass and you're kind of like, what were you thinking there? <laughs> but in general, when he is engaged and he is looking to distribute, it just makes everybody better. And I think Brian's going to talk about it a little bit. Joel Berry, you know, he's going to need to get some open shots to kind of get his rhythm back. He's not shooting terribly, but he's obviously not shooting great. I think the more Pinton can drive into the paint and dish off to guys like Barry, the better it'll be for North Carolina. That's actually the direction I was going to go. Since we've started talking about the guards and wings, I figured we'd just stay there for a little bit. And what's Barry's 
three-point and two-point shooting so far this season, Brian? Barry is shooting. I mean, he's respectable, like I think around 36% from three. Yeah, 36.2. But he, that's almost exact, exactly the same as his overall field goal percentage, which is 36.4. Um, I'm sure fans have noticed early in the season, Joel struggled to finish around the basket. Sometimes it's the length and athleticism of teams like like we saw at Michigan State and virtually nobody for Carolina could get the ball to go when they were around the rim. Other times he just struggled to put the ball in the basket when he gets there. I don't know whether he's sort of wary about his hands, things like that. But I believe in the half-court offense, they're not counting, you know, fast breaks and things like that. He's just, uh, I believe, 6 of 20 from around the basket. So that's not very good. I think it's in like the third percentile or fourth percentile nationally. People might not not like to hear this, but I kind of think that's who he is. He's not that bad, but I don't think he's an elite finisher. He's not Ty Lawson, for example. I think that's also why you don't see a lot of NBA people up in arms about Joel Berry, because maybe the athleticism isn't quite there. He was 18 of 54 around the rim last year, so that wasn't great either. It's just who he is. He makes up for it with his tenacity. He gets fouled a lot in his three-point shooting. But certainly having Pinson there, who is a great finisher, getting to the rim and also can find him open for easier shots will help him because Joel going out alone sometimes can be a bit frustrating to watch. 18 out of 54 last season is surprising to me. I would have thought that Joel would have been much higher than that. I guess maybe that's just me kind of remembering the highs and not the lows. But I mean, Rel, what do you think about that? That's I don't know, that, that's a surprising number to hear from last season for Joel. Yeah, uh, you know, we know he's not. Obviously, he's not like Ty Lawson or, or Raymond Feld or any of those guys finishing at the rim. I think it's a little, and Roy Williams has talked about it uh, in press conferences. He said he kind of wants him to get better at that aspect. You know, he's developed a little floater, which I think helps. But I think part of it is Brian talked about his tenacity. He just, you know, he's going to go to the rim and he's going to try and score. And if there's one guy in the way, if there's two guys in the way, if there's three guys in the way, that's what he's going to do because he can take contact. He wants to get to the free throw line. He's an 81% free throw shooter. So he wants to get to the free throw line and, and get a chance to you know score that way. So I think it's something that Carolina fans will just have to deal with because he's not going to change who he is entering you know the last 25, 30 games, maybe 20, probably 20 games, 25 games of his Carolina career. That's his way of putting pressure on the defense. And eventually, it's not that dissimilar from teams in football. They run the ball over and over. And the results might not be that great in the first half. But when you get to the fourth quarter, those defensive linemen are a little bit more tired. Those linebackers don't move from side to side as fast as they were in the first half. And Barry's driving just eventually, I think, wears teams down. And he is competent enough as a passer that when he starts doing that, when defenses start collapsing on him, then he can make passes to Manley, to Brooks, to whomever for easy layups. Luke May for layups and dunks. So it's a good thing, I think, even though the percentage is low, because eventually it's going to help wear the defense down. Yeah, and, and speaking to Terrell's point about him getting the free throw line, I mean, he, averages, he makes more than four free throws per game. That's tied for fourth in the ACC with Bonzi Colson. And this is a guard. So that's a weapon. When, mm. Even if he's not finishing, getting to the free throw line as many times as arguably the best big man type player in the ACC is quite a compliment to to Joel's ability, even if he might not be the best finisher. I guess now's a good time then to talk about big men, since Rel just mentioned May, and then you were talking about how Joel draws fouls like a big man. <laughs> not the best of connections exactly. there, but hey, I'll use it. <laughs> no, it go. works. It works. Yeah, just yeah. go with it. 
So for Luke May, let's just start there with his incredible season. Has there ever been, just looking at the numbers, Brian, a turnaround from year two to year three, like what Luke is experiencing? Not in Carolina history, no. I remember people won't like this, but Grayson Allen's jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year, I believe, is the largest scoring increase between years in ACC history. I think Will Solomon for Clemson might be second on that list. But if May keeps on going, he'll be right up there. I've never seen anything like this from a Carolina player from one year to the next. It's, it, it's almost as big of a jump as I remember seeing from Bryce Johnson his freshman year to Bryce Johnson his senior year. That's how quickly, not saying they're the same type player, but just in terms of production, it's, I mean, I'm, the numbers that May putting up, I know people will cite the competition, but Carolina plays the same type teams every year and not everyone's putting up these same numbers. Six double-doubles is incredible. Five 2010 games has only been matched by Hansborough and Jameson in the past 20 years before January. So really hard to put in context. It's just, it's, it's been very fun to watch and something that this team really is as, as needed. Well, do you, no you want to follow up then with Luke May? There's not much else to say. It's, it is, I don't want to be dramatic, but it is one of the five most surprising, biggest surprises, whatever term you want to use that I've seen since I've been following Carolina basketball, which is getting, starting to get up there in years. So I do feel like I have a good baseline of, of Carolina basketball history, you know, dating back to the mid eighties, I, I would say late eighties. Let's, let's put it that way. Let's just call it 90, actually. 90. (laughs) But, uh but, but there's never been, there's never been anything like this. And Roy Williams has said it. He's, he's, this is just something that we haven't seen before a player of Luke Mace caliber, which, you know, we, we probably wanted to spell a few things too. So first off, the walk-on narrative for Luke May has been overwrought. It's been said over and over again. It's become almost like a meme to a degree because, yeah, he was a walk-on, but it's a, you know, it was kind of a technicality. Roy Williams offered him a scholarship after he found out there was a couple of players in the class of 2015 who weren't going to go to UNC. And when Luke May committed to UNC over Davidson, I'd say Clemson was probably third. You know, they talked about it. They said, you know, if this works out for us, then we might need you to walk on for a year. So it's not like he was going to be a four-year walk on, just this this scrub who came from nowhere. This guy had offers from Notre Dame and Virginia and Clemson and Davidson and Iowa State. Stanford was af- after him. You know, Arizona, a couple other schools wanted him to visit. They didn't offer, but wanted him to visit. So this is a good player. All that said, anyone who tells you they expected this from Luke May this year is not telling you the truth because it is just such an obscene jump from last year, even though he's behind a few really good players, to second in the conference in scoring, second in the conference in rebounding, shooting almost 45% from three. So it's it really is a remarkable story. And I think it's one that as the season goes on and he continues to play well, that will get more national attention. We will go ahead and take our first commercial break. But when we come back, definitely <laughs> want to keep this Luke May talk going. So stay tuned, everyone. And we'll be back in just a second. Some brands offer you low finance, or cashback, or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. 
And we are back. John Siegley here with Brian Ives and Sherelle McMillan talking some UNC stats. And we left off the discussion before the break with Luke May. And, Rel, you touched on the rebounding. And honestly, to me, even more so than the shooting to a degree, has been Luke May's ability to rebound. And while we were off air, Brian, I mentioned rebounding rate, and let's talk about that. And, you know, we can go ahead and get a little bit more into some more technical statistics at this point. Talk to us about that. I think you mentioned that there was an article in The Atlantic about it. Or in The Athletic by everyone's favorite, Ken Pomeroy. Just noting how it was about team, how rebounding differential really doesn't tell the whole story of whether a team's really good at rebounding because there's such a big difference in offensive and defensive rebounding. It's kind of, they should be their own two separate stats because it's two different skill sets. Fortunately for the Tar Heels, Luke May is excellent at both. He is the second leading rebounder in the ACC. He is not seven feet tall. He is not a freak like Marvin Bagley, who leads the ACC in rebounding. He simply does it by knowing where to be. He plays angles very well off the rim. That is actually why you've seen him get the ball and go, because he, he's already, you know, he, he has handles and he can get the ball and, and take it off the bounce. And he... I mean, Kennedy Meeks last year, I think he and Tony Bradley were maybe both in the top five of defensive and or offensive rebounding percentage. I don't think May is going to be that high this year simply because of some physical limitations. But you could tell he he learned from those guys and watched those guys and, and saw how they put themselves in position. And it's made him one of the best rebounders in the conference. And then what about UNC's freshman bigs? I mean, I know that Roy has been kind of using almost like a platoon system with them. But out of those three, are any one of them kind of putting up statistics that stand out compared to the other two? Um, I would probably say, I think people would expect this, so it's Sterling Manley. He doesn't play a whole lot. He plays, oh, 12 and a half minutes a game. But per 40 minutes, so if he did not sit out at all, he'd be averaging 22 points per game and 17 rebounds per game. Um, Those are his per per 40-minute stats. Um, he certain I don't I wouldn't expect that to happen given yeah he, he has some conditioning issues as have been uh, murmured about and things like that but his production when he gets in the game is is pretty spectacular shooting 63 percent so I think Sterling Manley is the guy that you look at and like hey man we for sure got something here as long as he can stay healthy and can get his conditioning up but I think every big man all three of them to be quite honest have exceeded my personal expectations um, maybe that was skewed due to recruiting rankings I don't know. Sterling Manley might have been sort of overlooked because of injuries. I know Rail could probably speak to that. But um, Sterling Manley is really the one that, that probably sticks out to uh, fans and, and for good reason. Well, he's definitely the one that has caught my eye. Same thing with you, Rail. Is Sterling kind of the one that you kind of have noticed standing out a little bit more? I think for Roy Williams, what's a positive is that all three of them have shown him something that they do. And I, I don't mean to use the same point over again, but all three of the guys have shown him something that they do well. So Manley has shown that he can come in. He's an effective scorer. He's got nice touch and he can grab rebounds. And North Carolina's defense, if you look at Adrian Atkinson's story up on IC now, North Carolina's defense is considerably better with Manley in the game. So you know that you're going to get you know, at least a couple of things from him every game pretty consistently at maybe not a high level, but at least a a level of competency that maybe some people didn't expect. Huffman, in limited minutes, he will come in, he'll block a shot, he'll get a duck. You know you're going to get that from him. 
Brooks, while he might not be scoring like he was the first couple of games, he'll play good defense, he'll dive on the floor, and he's able to finish. So I think they definitely have surpassed expectations. I do think Carolina fans should be a little more cautious in how they look forward because the ACC is a grind. It is the best conference in the country, and you're going to be going every Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, pretty much for two and a half months playing against guys who are more mature, more developed, and probably just as big. So I want to see how they do, you know, at Georgia Tech. They don't play at Georgia Tech this year, so that's a bad example. I want to see how they do at Florida State, you know, on a Tuesday night against, you know, mature players. And that's only happened once this season and the results weren't great. Now, I'm not saying that's how it's going to be, but that is their challenge moving forward is just to get rid of some of the consistent inconsistency. And if they can do that, then I think North Carolina really has a chance to go far in March. Well, regarding Garrison Brooks, and this question is going to be for you, Brian, it looks to me like he's really the only freshman big man that has a scoring touch outside of six feet. But is that bared out in, I guess, what their shooting is, stepping away from the rim? I mean, yeah, Brooks has the lowest field goal percentage of all, which indicates that he's probably taking more difficult shots and, and playing against the other team's starters than the other two. I do think he probably has a more developed offensive game so far, at least in terms of inside and outside. I think Manley has pretty good post moves as well. The one question I think a lot of people have had about these big men, and Roy, I think, has bemoaned this a couple of times in his post-game and midweek press conferences, is their defense. Certainly, if you just watch the game, you can tell a lot of times opposing big men. I know Mo Wagner was a good example of this, as was the guy at Stanford, whose name uh, I forget immediately. But they would bully the freshman a little bit and get really good low inside position. But overall, I think they've, they've handled it well. I think Carolina's allowing about 28 points per game in the paint against the four major conference teams they played, so Stanford, Michigan, Michigan State, and Arkansas. Probably only one of those is a for sure not tournament team, Stanford. The others are probably on the right side looking in right now. And it was 27 points per game in the paint last year against major conference teams. So really not that big of a difference. I do think it will get much tougher in the ACC, as Ralph said. Duke is the best paint team in the country by far. They're pretty much what Carolina was last year. And there's some grown men in the ACC. Florida State has them. Virginia has them. And Jack Salt. It will be a different game. But so far, I think they've held up okay. They've had their hit or misses, but so far it's been all right on defense. And we are going to go ahead and end part one of this podcast now. We will be airing the second half of the conversation with Brian and Rel Monday morning. So subscribe to the Inside Carolina podcast and stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.